And so for about the last four or five weeks, I've been just chewing on this message. I've been digesting it, and I, I just knew, I'm like, this, this message is for Seeds Church. We're going to preach this. And so today, I want to talk about um, some of what he talked about this week and for certainly next week. And we're going to be talking about the fight for the altar. The fight for the altar. And I, and I want to begin by saying this. We, we all need to see through a particular lens. The lens that we need to look through in life is an eternal kingdom lens. It's so easy to go through life and look through the lens of the natural realm, of the things that are going on and the challenges that we experience just in our everyday lives, whether it be at work or at home, just the, the tensions that we deal with in our own heart and soul, things that are going on in the news, things that are going on just in our region or um, on a national level, on an international level. And it's really easy to put our focus in life and just see things through the lens of what's happening in the natural realm. But what we need to do is we need to look at things through the supernatural lens because that's the central lens. That's the main thing. The Bible says that the things that are seen are temporal, but the things in the unseen realm are eternal. And that's the lens through which we need to see through because it's only through that lens that we're able to actually see the real crisis of the hour that we live in and have the hope that God has for us, have this hope, hopeful expectation that, that God has for us. If all you ever do is go through this life and look at, look at the world through the lens of what's happening in the natural, you are going to let, be left depressed and hopeless. But if you look through the lens of, and see things the way that God sees them, it won't really matter how terrible or chaotic things are around us. We can have the hopeful expectation that God is at work and that he's at work amongst his people and he's using his people to establish his kingdom here on earth, to prepare the way for his second coming. And it's not an escapism. It's not like we're living, uh, looking through a supernatural lens isn't about living with your head like an ostrich with its, with its head in the, in, in the sand, just ignoring everything that's going on. But it's looking around and saying, no, 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 no. I see what's happening around me, but there is another reality that exists. There is a kingdom reality that exists, and that's where I put my hope and I anchor my life, not in the natural circumstances. Isaiah 62 says that, that darkness, as black as night, covers the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over us, the church. So the mandate that God has for the church is that as things grow darker and darker, that it's time for the church to uh, rise and shine. If we just look through the natural lens, we see darkness and we'll think, oh no, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's all over. But if we look through a supernatural lens and we look and we see the way that, that God sees things, we say, God looks at these things and he doesn't think, oh no, it's all over. God looks at the darkness, he says, oh no, it's just beginning. What I'm about to do is just beginning. I have opportunity now to come and, and do something. So the prophetic mandate 
is to arise and shine and be the people of his presence in this hour. I want to invite you, uh, in just a second here, I want to just say a couple other things. I want to invite you to stand with me as we're going to read. We're going to read today from Judges chapter 6, and it's the story of Gideon. And I think, I don't know if you grew up in church and grew up in Sunday school and hearing the stories of Gideon, but the main stories that I remember about Gideon growing up in church is two primary things, where the Lord appears to Gideon and tells him that he wants to raise up an army to fight the enemy, and then he goes through this selection process. It's not really Gideon's selection process, it's God's selection process, and he because God sets up the stage to do something supernatural. It wasn't just about, well, we got to get rid of these fake warriors. They're no good. We got to get them out of here. It really wasn't about that. It was about God doing something that only God could get credit for. And so, so Gideon, like, he tests the Lord. He says, well, if you're really doing this and you're really talking to me, then God, I need you to do this for me and I need you to do that for me. And, and God shows up. And he proves himself true to Gideon. And then, and then there's this selection course uh, for, for the army of Israel. And then they go to battle and there's this supernatural victory that happens. But there's something else that happens before all of this that I wasn't really given, I wasn't really taught this. We didn't probably primarily read these passages growing up in Sunday school. But it's probably things that I've read before, but I've just kind of blown right through them. But I want to give some attention to it today and then for sure again next week as well. Because uh, I'll say this later and I'll say it now though. The fight is not for the things in the unseen realm. The fight is for the things in the unseen realm. Did I say that right? The fight for the things that are not in the seen realm. The fight is for the things in the unseen realm. The fight is for the altar of the Lord. For the altar. So stand with me. We're going to read from Judges chapter 6. And here's what we're going to do today. It's a, a bit of reading. So what I'm going to have you do is just listen, and then I'm going to read aloud. Verse 7 When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, this is talking about the Israelites, the, Lord's, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites kind of I like this about this passage is that it doesn't really name the prophet because it's really not about the person that God uses. It's about God, right? And so the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you've not listened to me. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah. Not Oprah, but Ophrah. (laughs) Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, is that where you thresh wheat? No. Why was he doing it there? To hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Other translations say, you might have heard it this way, Mighty man of valor, right? Verse 13, 
Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But the Lord, uh, excuse me, but Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against just one man. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Lord, I just pray right now that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, as we look into the Word and as we listen to your Spirit, God, I pray that you would give us faith and you would give us courage for the hour. God, that we would not be men and women who shrink in this moment that we're living in when the world seems like it's growing darker and darker. But God, I thank you that you're calling us to arise and shine. So empower us and equip us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. This was the prophetic calling of a man named Gideon. And it was at one of the most crucial hours in Israel's history. And I want to say this, it's not unlike the time that we find ourselves right now. The, the time in which we're living in right now as the 21st century church, it's, it's alarmingly similar to what's going on in Judges chapter 6. Think about it. They're living in the aftermath of a major cultural shift. And it, and it changed the view of themselves as the people of God, and it changed the view of the world around them. And I think about how we are living now today in post-Christian America, technically, we are. If you look at the statistics, America is now post-Christian. There's been major cultural shifts not just in the last two years, but the, in the last three, four years, there has been. But this has been going on for quite a while. And it's almost like we have been the frog that's been put in the pot of cold water, but the heat has been turned up and the, the water has been warming up over the last couple of decades. And it's hot right now. And Israel had been fight, Israel had been the people of God and these, the people of God had come into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And they had defeated giants, and they had defeated armies, and they had defeated kingdoms. And they had miraculously taken possession of the land that God had promised to them. And they were now dwelling in homes that they had not built. And they were reaping from vineyards that they had not planted. They were the head and not the tail. They were first and not last. As they say, life is good. It's real good. Hungry for Mexican food and watching Nacho Libre now. But I get my stretchy pants. <laughs> Earlier in the book of Judges, uh, so life is good, right? 
but earlier in the book of Judges, and then even at the beginning of this chapter, it kind of mentions this. That it says that, that after the time of Joshua, there rose up a generation who knew not the Lord nor his works. And it's just a little side note on this passage here. Why is that? Because the generations before didn't do their job of teaching their children, of raising strong families to love and serve the Lord. They, they didn't make their homes an altar. And so our commitment, what the Lord is calling us, what's calling the church to, specifically calling Siege Church to, is that we are people who don't make this same mistake. That our kids actually get to stand on our shoulders, and they don't have to start at the same platform that we started at, but they get to start higher because we have given them the tools, and we have walked it out as an example to them of, here's how to love and serve the Lord. Some of us, many of us, we didn't have that example, or we didn't have good examples. Some of us did, and praise God for that. But even for those of us that had good examples, I still want my children to start at a higher level than where I started. Praise God. So let's not make that same mistake. And, and so Israel, like the, like the frog in the pot of water, the heat's turned up, and just little by little, that temperature is increasing, little by little, and they became an idolatrous people. So by the time Gideon comes onto the scene, they're no longer the head. They are the tail. They're no longer first. They are last. A cultural shift has taken place, and now the nation of Israel has PTSD. Because for the last seven years, they have been experiencing oppression by their enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And now they have gone into hiding. They're in the hills, hiding in caves. How many of you, if you came from, if you came from Murfreesboro this morning, here on 99, not that far down the road, you passed a road called Snail Shell Cave Road. There is a snail shell cave somewhere on that road. <laughs> and, and the Israelites are living out in these caves because they don't want the Midianites, the Amalekites, to find where they are and, and to continue to attack them and kill them and take from them. Th th think about this. They're an agrarian culture, right? So every year they would go and they'd plant their seeds and they would feed their herds. And every year they would reap a crop, there would be a harvest of crops, and their livestock would reproduce. And in the natural progression, in the natural cycle of this, of a well-managed, I mean, if you just manage this with any kind of wisdom at all, the, the, the natural cycle brings multiplication. And it, and it brings increase. And it brings wealth and security. But because Israel had turned their hearts away from the Lord... The Midianites and the Amalekites, who were these nomadic people from the east, they would wait until harvest time. They would let the Israelites do all do your thing. Plant your crops. Feed your herds. You do all the work. But at the right time, the Midianites and the Amalekites would swoop in and they would take everything from the Israelites. They would attack and they would plunder. 
They would destroy their cities and villages. And so what happens is, this happens one time and you think, man, this is terrible. This is awful. But it's an anomaly. But then it happens again. And 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 you, you go from like, like everything that you've put your blood, your sweat, your tears, and your toil into, and all this work has emotional attachment to it, your, your hopes for the future as you're working and building, your, your, your dreams and your aspirations and all of this is into, into your work year after year after year, and you go from mad to fearful and then to just surrender. Well, I guess this is just the way it's always going to be. And I guess we'll just, we'll just try to hold on to as, 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 much as, we, as little as we possibly can to survive because this is just how it's going to be now. And they're hopeless and they're in hiding. And this is where we find Gideon. We just read there in Judges 6, He's trying to thresh a little bit of wheat, but he's not out in the open on the threshing floor. He's in a wine press. He's hiding, trying to hide what little he has so the Amalekites and the Midianites don't find out that he's got it. Gideon, just like the rest of Israel, he's given up hope. And they're all just in survival mode. And what's going on there is that there's a bigger battle that's happening than what they could see with their natural eyes. More real than the, than the struggles of what was happening in the natural realm, there was a fight that was happening in the supernatural realm. So God wanted to raise up a, up a, a prophetic voice to turn the hearts of the people back to number one, back to wholehearted devotion to him. But the other thing that the Lord wanted to do in raising up a prophetic voice was to turn the mindset and the paradigm that the people had, be, had adopted over the last seven years, and instead of seeing themselves as a defeated people, he wanted them to see themselves as overcomers instead of those who had been overcome. And we'll see this play, played out as we read through this in Judges 6, not just today, but, but next week as well. But the real fight wasn't for the wheat, the real fight wasn't for the vineyards. The real fight wasn't for the livestock. <laughs> the real fight wasn't for the culture. The real fight was for the altar of the Lord. Because what we'll see is when Gideon, when, when God finally gets Gideon's attention, the first thing that the Lord instructs Gideon to do is to go and tear down the altar of Baal. These are the people who are supposed to be the people of God. What are they doing even having an altar of Baal? What are they doing even with an Asherah pole? You're like, what's the altar of Baal? What's the Asherah pole? We're going to get into all of that next week. But these are things that, that were, were items of worship and representation of gods who they had no business worshiping. Lord said at Sinai, he says, I'll have no other gods before me. 
these other, these other gods that you have adopted from the land of Egypt, from the land of Canaan, they're all demonic spirits. I, they're nothing to do with me, and I won't have it. It's like mixing oil and water. They don't. And you can't, you, 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 it's like choose this day who you'll serve is what God told Joshua, right? It's what Joshua told the people. Choose this day who you're going to serve. So God says to Gideon, uh, I'm going to have no other gods before me. You're going to have to go tear down the altar of Baal. Before any of this changes in the natural realm, before anything shifts or changes with the things that you can see, we're going to change something first in the spiritual realm. We're going to tear down the altar of Baal, and then I'm going to skip ahead to this little detail. We're going to take down the Asherah pole. Asherah pole represented the, like the, the, the god of, of sexuality and, um, and, and fertility. And we're going to tear that down, and we're actually going to use it as kindling on the fire of the sacrifice that you're going to build an altar for me on. Because I'll have no other gods before me. That's a sneak peek to next week. When we look at Gideon's life, we see some parallels, the things that are happening in the church today. When the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, where was Gideon? He was in the place of like where yesterday's wine flowed, right? He was hiding out. He was in a place of, of yesterday's strength. He's in the place that used to be a source of increase in wealth, but now the wine isn't flowing anymore, and he's just in survival mode with whatever leftovers he could find in his hand. And in the last few years, many in the American church have had a reckoning. And the reckoning is, is that, well, I guess that we're just going to be the caretakers of the stories of revival and awakening. Yes, I've seen moves of God before in the past where I've heard the stories of moves of God in the past, but we just don't have that today. And we just, we're, just not, we're not strong. The church isn't strong today like it once was. And so we'll just be the bearer. We'll be the caretaker of these stories. And the church has gone into survival mode. I'm just trying to get through today. I'm just trying to survive just enough so I can, you know, retreat into my cave, live for another day, because I'm tired of the, the enemy overwhelming me. Did you know that the thing that the enemy steals the most from the people of God, more than anything else, <laughs> it's hope? It's expectation, it's faith, it's courage. If the enemy can steal courage from you, then he can trick you to living as a prisoner in the promised land. That's where the Israelites were. They were in the promised land, but they had turned their hearts from the Lord. They allowed the, the things of the enemy to come and infiltrate and mix into their life 
And to, they integrated the, the outside culture of the enemy into their everyday life. And now they're living, living as prisoners in the land that God promised to them. That's what the enemy did in Gideon's day. And that same strategy is at work today in the church. So many of us in the American church, we have adopted and allowed the culture carnal culture and, and evil, wicked ideologies and just think, well, that's just normal. That's just part of life. That's just what everybody does. Not the people of God. We have a different standard. We don't serve that God. We serve another God. You know, you, you go to the doctor and they always give you the bad news before they give you the good news, right? It's like, well... Let me tell you, here's the diagnosis. And you're like, oh, my gosh. But then they say, like, but here's how we're going to treat it, right? And so, you know, today the bad news is that, yes, much of the American church is suffering from PTSD. Yesterday's models do not work for today's challenges. Everything that we've done in our own strength, by our own hand, has failed us. And we're just scrambling for what to do now just trying to get our feet under us again. So we can hide out in our caves, or the good news, here's how we're going to treat this disease, or we can respond to the call of God. Because every single time that we're faced with, with these kinds of circumstances, God's answer is always courageous leadership. I don't know if you believe that yet. God's calling you. He's calling us like he called Gideon to say, you know what? Seven years, it's been long enough. It's time for a change. Imagine for a moment you're Gideon and you're just trying to get enough wheat together to just bake a small loaf of bread to survive so you don't starve to death. And you don't want to get caught. <laughs> you want to get, you, you want to, you know, have a little successful mission before you crawl back into your lockdown cave. Have you ever like got up in the middle of the night and snuck into the kitchen? And you like get into the pantry and you're like, oh, what's in here? And then you like shut the pantry door and you're like, your wife is standing there. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? I thought you said you're on a diet. Why is there a handful of Oreos in both hands? And you're like, shh, you're going to wake up the kids. Be quiet. Don't worry about me. This is Gideon. He's hiding out in the wine press, trying to be quiet, trying to be sneaky, trying to be stealthy. And the angel of the Lord is like, mighty man of valor, Gideon. Shh, the Amalekites are going to hear you. The Midianites are going to hear you. Be quiet. He's doing everything in his power to be quiet, and the angel of the Lord is calling him out. What's the angel of the Lord calling him to? Courageous leadership. 
you mighty man of valor, you hero. What has Gideon ever done to be a hero? Nothing. And I think that that's the same kind of mentality that we think about ourselves. What could God ever do with me? What have I ever done of anything of significance? What heroic thing have I ever stood up for? What thing of valor have I ever stood up for? Maybe this little thing over here or that thing over there, but God can't really use me. It's not about you. It's about God. And it's about his calling to you. So your response is, God, I know it's not about me because I didn't do anything to deserve to be called in the first place, but you're calling me, so I'm going to respond in courageous leadership. But the, the angel of the Lord's calling him out, and Gideon's like, hold on, wait a second. If I'm a mighty man of valor, I've got some questions. <laughs> First off, God, angel of the Lord, why has all this stuff happened to us? I don't feel like we've done anything to deserve that. I mean, we're your people, right? And secondly, like, where are all the miracles? I grew up in Sabbath school, and I remember hearing the stories about Moses and Joshua and all this stuff, but, but somehow you've allowed us to come under the oppression of the enemy. What's up with that? Gideon's got questions, and he just so happens to forget that the Israelites had turned their hearts from the Lord. And I'll just say, when you don't do things God's way, you don't get God's reward. That's just how it is. There's this, there's this thing that like says for every action, there's opposite and equal reaction. You guys ever heard that before? When you don't do things God's way, you don't get God's reward. You don't get, the, the ble- you don't get to walk in that blessing. And it's not him keeping it from you. It's you keeping it from you. You've decided, oh, I'm going to do it this way. And some people will run around and think why they're not blessed, they're not, why they're not walking the blessing of the Lord when they're walking in disobedience. Now, let me qualify this and say, sometimes you walk in obedience and it comes with sacrifice. And the opposite and re- equal reaction isn't something that happens here on earth, but it's something that happens in the supernatural realm. And it's a treasure that's laid up in heaven. But know that God keeps score. And we, all our response is to do, is to be obedient, to respond to the word of the Lord with courageous leadership, no matter how the, the natural circumstances play out, right? So Gideon's got these questions, but notice that the angel of the Lord doesn't answer any one of the questions, not one of them. The, the, the angel of the Lord just simply turns to Gideon and says, go in the strength that you have. And Gideon says, but I'm not qualified. You're looking for a courageous leader. You say mighty man of valor. You say hero, but you must have made a mistake. You must have, like, when you punched in the address in your angel GPS, you must have made a mistake because you have arrived at the wrong address. You're talking to the wrong guy. Because I'm the weakest of all of my families. You know, I remember, like, growing up in Sunday school and in church, like, all these stories were told on flannel graph, right? And I remember, like, in my head, thinking, like, 
Gideon is this, still this dude that God has called out to be. But when you think about this guy who's saying, I'm the weakest of my family, and my family is the weakest of all of Manasseh, and Manasseh is the weakest of all of Israel, and Israel actually happens to be like uh, occupied right now, I think of a guy who might have skinnier arms, you know? <laughs> I, I don't think of the flannel graph guy who looks like he's been in the gym. I, this this Gideon has not done anything to be called by God, but yet God still calls on him. I want you to hear that. Let that sink in. Gideon's thinking, there's nobody on the face of the earth that's less qualified to do what you're saying than me. How many of you know that God doesn't lose arguments? The angel of the Lord isn't standing there listening to everything that Gideon has to say and going, you know what, you made a good point. <laughs> you, you might just be right. There might actually be somebody that, that is out there that's better to do this than you. You know what, I've changed my mind. I'm going to give you a break. You go back to threshing your bit of wheat. No, the angel of the Lord says, no, you are going to rise up and you are going to be deliverer for the nation of Israel. Up to this point, Gideon defined his identity by his shortcomings and by his outward circumstances. And I'm sure that he didn't just wake up one day and just automatically identify as a victim. But it was probably one thing after another, after another, after another that weighed him down and crushed his spirit. And this is something that we all deal with, and it's something that we all have to be aware of because the temptation exists for us for the same thing. I mean, because you have, have you ever tried to lead anything? Have you ever tried to do anything of significance? Have you ever tried to make a difference or an impact? Have you ever just even tried to just, I just want to raise my family? This is hard. And it's not just one punch that knocks the strength out of you. It's when it comes time and time and time again and the time after that. And nobody just wakes up and decides all of a sudden, you know what? Uh, I've stopped believing I can win. But it's like just one straw after another, after another, after another. And then it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? And now you've stopped believing that victory is possible and you lose hope. And one of the most valuable commodities that we have as the people of God is hope. You know, Zechariah chapter 9 says that you, your circumstance, your outward circumstance can be that you're a prisoner, but you should still hold hope in your heart. Prisoners of hope. All throughout the Bible, God is calling us as his people to be a people of hope. The angel of the Lord said one thing, Gideon doesn't believe it, but God doesn't give Gideon an out. Makes me think of like his callings are without repentance. A lot of times God's called us to something and maybe we didn't respond. And when we've run over here and we've tried to do something else with our life and then all of a sudden like we're, our heart is arrested and we're like, well, now what do I do? Well, I don't know what to do. Go back and do the thing that God said. Go back and, and respond to the call that he's called you to. 
Gideon may have been the weakest man, the weakest of the weak in the natural realm, but the spiritual reality is that God was calling him up to courageous wartime leadership. There's two types of leaders. There's peacetime leaders and there's wartime leaders. Winston Churchill was a wartime leader. The beginning of his political career was incredibly underwhelming. But then Hitler showed up on the scene and the world began to change and England began to be threatened. And right when it looked like the England was about to come under the control of the Third Reich, God used a man and raised him up to save a nation and, and the world and help part, be part of the story of, of, of saving the world in that moment of history. And there, there's this speech that Churchill gave when he came in to being prime minister. I'm going to read you just an excerpt from that speech. And I want you to hear it through the lens of what God is calling us to. And I'd say to the House, the House of Commons, I'd say to those who've joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. In other words, who am I, God? I'm not a hero. I'm not a mighty man of valor. But here's what I do have. Here's what I can bring to you. And Churchill's like, hey, I'm all in. Here's what I have. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say this. It is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all of our might and with all the strength that God can give to us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. In the middle of the bleakest one of the most hopeless moments in the nation of the United Kingdom. The mindset of that nation began to shift and change. And they began to gain hope. Why? Because of courageous wartime leadership. During war, during crisis, during hopelessness, who's going to step forward and say, yes, it's dark? Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's sobering. But we're going to fight for victory and overcome. It takes courageous wartime leadership. And that's what's needed now in the kingdom of God. God's always raising up courageous prophetic leaders. Whether it be Gideon or Elijah or John the Baptist, God's going to raise up people who are able to see what nobody else sees. And that might, you might feel like that sometimes amongst your family, amongst your peer group, amongst your coworkers. You're like, don't you guys see what's going on? Don't you understand the crisis of the hour? And it seems like people are asleep or they're blind to it. But God's raising up people who will see what no one else will see, who will then actually then have the, the wherewithal and the boldness to then say what no one else is saying. 
and the, he's raising up courageous wartime leaders who, for people who can believe for something more than the present reality. When we were at the Mission, uh, Michigan conference, at the Radiant conference there, this is one of the things that, that Pastor Lee said directly. He says this, that, that, and this is like, I know we heard what, what Churchill said, and that was to a nation fighting a physical war. But th- this, is, this is Pastor Lee, and he's talking to us and the church about fighting this spiritual war. He says, the true measure of a leader is not the position he takes during times of peace, but it's where he stands during moments of conflict and crisis. Peacetime leaders look to diplomacy, negotiation, and compromise as a means of securing what they have, not knowing that by making that decision, they've already lost. There is no virtue in detente. Wartime leaders refuse to back down and understand that peace tomorrow and future generations will be the product of their courage and their sacrifice today. In Judges chapter 6, in an hour that's very similar, alarmingly similar to the hour that we find ourselves living in now, God was calling Gideon to courageous wartime leadership to be the kind of leader that in spite of pain, in spite of feelings, in spite of challenges, in spite of fear, in spite of all of that, in spite of an enemy, that he would courageously obey the Lord. And we're living in a day when courage is actually discouraged. And when the consensus is of wicked ideologies, and that's the highest priority. These days call for courage. These days call for hope. These days call for courageous wartime leaders to step out of the wine press and say, I'm not retreating to my cave, but I'm in the pursuit of the altar of the Lord. Like I said, there's a lot more to this. We're going to get into it next week. I don't have time for all of it today. But before we end our time together, I want to remind us of something that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And, and, I, and it's the, this, it's that our fight is for the altar of the Lord. Our fight is not with people. It's really easy right now to look at people as our enemy. Because they're the ones that, they're the puppets and the tools of the enemy. And if all we ever do is just use our natural vision, we're going to get things out of whack and get things out of order. And if all we think that we're going to do is just, and I told this to the Dream Team earlier this morning, if, if all we ever do is think that, well, I'm just going to present strong arguments and intelligent and, and logical arguments and present biblical truth, and, and we're, we're going to do it because to, the, to these people because we see them as our enemy. And we think that we're just going to argue with people and convince them and change their hearts. We're just spinning our wheels. There are wicked, evil spirits in the unseen realm that we cannot see with our eyes, but they are out there and they exist. And they are the ones who are manipulating and deceiving and twisting and controlling and causing the darkness. But remember, remember, 
it's time for us to arise and shine, not go hide in the caves. It's time for us to take up this prophetic mandate when the angel of the Lord says, arise, mighty man of valor, who else is gonna stand? I'll just ask you right now, who else is gonna stand? Let's stand. This is what Paul said, Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the spirit that's behind Pride Month. It's not your neighbor. It's not your coworker. It's not that person that you saw on social media. It's not that person that you see on the news. It's not that, that politician. Are they being used as puppets? Are they being used as tools of the enemy? Yeah, but my fight's not with them. I want to love them like Jesus loves them. But I'm also not going to affirm I'm going to stand in truth, and I'm going to wage war first on my knees in prayer. Before I ever have a conversation, I want to have a word from the Lord. I want to be directed by the Holy Spirit. I want to be shaped by the Word and led by the Spirit. Amen? How do I think I'm going to be able to argue or change anyone's mind with just some kind of logical explanation? Logic has been thrown out the windows, everybody. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God. And when I look at people who are void of the Spirit of God, I've got to remind myself, they're not my enemy. Jesus loves them. And I want to be an instrument of the love of God to them. I will not affirm their decisions. I will not affirm sin. But I will love them. And I will try to help them as much as they allow me. And before I even open my mouth to have a conversation, I want to have spent time here and on here so that I'm, I'm going to be like getting full of the Spirit of God. What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. It's just that this is what God's calling us to. It's the hour that we're living in. It's not time to run and hide in caves. It's time to come out of the wine press. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we respond right now with courageous leadership. God, some of us still, even in our hearts, we may be battling with doubt or unbelief. But Lord, I just pray that as, as, as you brought Gideon along on this journey and you, you led him to hope, you led him to courage, you led him to faith, you led him to expectation, and he continued to just take one more step of obedience and then just one more step of obedience, and then just one more step of obedience. God, I thank you they defeated thousands and thousands and thousands of Amalekites and Midianites with only 300 men. And Lord, what you're doing here today amongst Seeds Church and the American church, God, we're living in a nation that's much like the Israelites were, God. We're a post-Christian nation. But God, we want to stand up and say, God, we will be we will respond and be courageous leaders that you've called us to be. So Lord, remind us to be full of your spirit, to press in to your spirit, to not try to wage this war in, in, the, in our own natural strength and power, but to come to you, to come close to you, to be intimate 
with your spirit so that your spirit changes us and equips us. God, let us be like Davids in the field who you're shaping. God, that we, we've come to know you in the place of worship and just in our everyday work and our everyday uh, putting our, our hand to the plow, whatever it is that you've given to us, that we find ourselves in a place of worship so that when a lion comes or a bear comes or a giant comes, God, that we know who you are and that if you are for us, then no one can be against us. Lord, I pray that as we, as we look into the culture, God, that you would help us discern, have great discernment about the spirits that are behind certain things. And God, even as these things have crept into the church in different places, God, I pray that we would be, be guardians of truth. But God, we would not be full of hate while we're doing it, but God, we'd be empowered by your love and by your spirit. Lord, I pray blessing over your people today. Empower us and equip us to be your Gideons of the hour in the name of Jesus. Amen.